Welcome to another episode of the Pocket Mastermind podcast. My guest today is Nir Bashan. Uh, Nir is a world-renowned creativity expert uh, and author of The Creator Mindset, uh, which is being released in August, I believe, Nir. Yeah. Um, so here to explain how we can harness the power uh, of our creativity so we can all improve our results. Who couldn't do with some of that? Uh, Nir, welcome to the Pocket Mastermind podcast. Thank you, sir. Good to have, uh, good to be here, and thanks for having me. So, talk to us a bit about uh, creativity. The first thing I want to know is, what defines creativity? Yeah, definitely. So, um, for me, creativity is defined by, you know, basically um, several things. But one of the driving factors of creativity is the ability to use a side of your brain that has been dormant for many, many years to solve problems. And um, for me, creativity is defined by our ability to tap into our childhood selves who, you know, research shows that we've solved all kinds of problems and we even developed creativity before we learned how to communicate. Um, and so I feel like it's something we're born with. So I define creativity as being in touch with our, you know, young uh, selves, our childhood selves, and using that ability to solve all kinds of problems in business. That makes sense. I was going to say, you know, I feel like creativity is something we tend to lose as we get older. Or is that is that? Is that a fair perception? Definitely. Yeah. So I, I feel like, you know, the older we get, the more we fall in love with um, the analytical side of our brain. Why? It's because we can prove it. So, well, we we think we can prove it. We're led to believe that we can prove it, right? So we um, grab a spreadsheet. We can rationalize it, right? Totally. Like, yeah, dude. Convince, so we get a spreadsheet out. Convince ourselves that it's real. <laughs> oh, for, for real. Like literally convince ourselves that it's real. Like we get a spreadsheet out and good. Look, I worked eight hours today. <laughs> ah, I did work, you know? Or, um, you know, we, we just love data. We, we feel like if we can quantify something, then it exists. But for me, the creative mind is, you know, sometimes quantifiable, there's no doubt, and the fruits of its labor are definitely quantifiable. Their innovation and creativity that will give your business an edge that, that others don't have. Um, but I, I feel like we're so in love with the analytics that we've sort of forgotten about the creative side. It's not serious. It's not, you know, I, I run a business near, I'm in property management or, you know, whatever, that's serious, you know. What can creativity do for me? Nothing. So I'm not going to do any of it. But what I find, you know, when I'm out consulting and I'm out talking to, to, to different people doing keynotes or whatnot, is that, you know, a lot of people out there are sort of operating on a half tank of gas, wondering why they're never quite there. And, you know, they hit a wall time and time again, and they don't know why they can't get to the next level. And, and for me, that because their their brain has been focused only on one way of thinking. And I'd like to introduce a different way, a new way, a fresh way of thinking that will help uh, people build their business. Do you think it's kind of it almost switching off um, kind of an emotional, the creativity, creative, creativity from my perspective, I suppose, is a kind of an emotional 
type activity and it and you kind of tune into something else that flows at that point and if you're doing the analytical side for me personally anyway i feel like there's part you you it's kind of mechanical right yeah you know so i i don't know the the creative mind is you know david it's like it's really about understanding that little voice inside you that's been telling you what to do that 99.9% of us ignore. Mm -hmm. uh, I would know because I've spent most of my life ignoring that voice. And it, it's like, you know, it, it's always been like, hey, you shouldn't work here. And then I'd go take a job there because the money was good. And I was like, fuck, I'm miserable. <laughs> and then, you know, it would be, you know, the voice telling me, oh, this is something we should ramp up. I need to hire these two employees and let them run with something. And instead, I micromanaged the crap out of them and did not get where I needed to go. Boom. It, it's over and over. And for me, you know, I've been in business for, you know, 20, 25 years now. I started my first business when I was nine, going door nine. to door washing. Yeah, nine. <laughs> going door to I think door. You're now, I think you're now my earliest starter. For real? <laughs> yeah, I um, think so. Yeah, dude. I, you know, I went door to door washing cars in Los Angeles. So in the eighties, you can imagine um, at nine years old. And, and so, you know, I learned that, um, I learned that, you know, and, you know, I've run production companies in Hollywood. I've run advertising agencies. I had a furniture refinishing business. I've had all kinds of weird, you know, sort of uh, eclectic businesses. And at every stop, David, I, I, I had a voice telling me what I should do and I didn't know what that was. And then I would see all these successful people around me and they were really creative and they'd come up with great ideas. And I'd be like, I want to be like that. And I'd ask them, nobody was saying anything. Nobody was talking about how to do it. And then I, I, I started to put together this book that's coming out called the creator mindset um, in August. It, and I started to put together like an understanding of what and really how to make creativity happen in your day-to-day -day life. Um, and that's what really kind of helped me understand that creativity is something that we have with us since childhood. We got to listen to the voice, man. The voice mm -hmm. is telling us what to do. That is creativity trying to get out. And it's really that simple. If we just pay attention to what our gut is telling us in certain situations, we can learn to develop that into amazing innovation and amazing creative potential at work. Um, but most of the time, dude, we're not listening to it. So we ignore it. And, and at some very, very incredible peril, I mean, incredible tragic results happen when we don't listen to to what we need to what we need to listen to how do we i guess one question that comes up with that and and is how do you just how do you define between the creative voice that says hey this is the right thing to be doing or don't do this blah 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 versus the the negative self-talk and the fear voice how do you Definitely. define between the two of those Definitely. So the what the negative voice is really um, it's really the same the same sort of voice, right? So with creativity, somehow, some way, comes an amazing, very very powerful analytical override function that human beings have been born with, and that override function is essentially. Um, 
the self-doubt monster telling you that your idea is not good enough. And that is something that we need to get really, really good at shutting down because what ends up happening is, you know, society loses out on a lot of incredibly important things that could potentially save lives, um, improve lives. Um, you know, people, I, I feel like we could have cured cancer by now had the people working on a cure actually listened to their inner voice and went and risked something and took a giant leap of faith on an idea. Mm -hmm. But most people don't because they're afraid that um, they'll be too out there. They'll lose their reputation, right? And we could have probably put, you know, someone on Mars right now, you know, walking mm -hmm. around and put a moon village or done the most amazing things at society. Um, but we haven't because we've been so good at at um, at kind of killing that voice before it comes out. So one of my techniques that I have is it's a visualization technique that's in the book. And you know, it's not that out there. It's not about aligning your chakras or you know the seven tones of Solomon. It's not about that. It's really about a visualization technique to allow your inner creativity to finally get out, right? And and it's the water tap technique. And it's basically you imagine a, a water flowing, a river, uh, your kitchen sink. It doesn't really matter. The molecules don't care about what's coming before it or what's. It just is. And allowing yourself permission to fail sometimes and understanding that things just are what they are is an incredible uplifting creative tool that I use to help people get over self-doubt. If you start to think of your ideas as, as just flowing, you know, irre ir irrelevant of what comes before it and what comes after it, we allow ourselves to loosen and to undo that incredible pressure that we put on ourselves to get it right all the time. And then we start getting it wrong a few times and we start to learn from it. I don't know, man, I, you know, I read your bio I, and I know a little bit of your background and, you know, I would venture to say, I don't know, David, if you agree with me or not, but I would venture to say that you, you've learned more from your failures than you oh, had yeah. from your successes, right? I mean, yeah, uh, all the, all the, all the anything that goes right proves is that you did it right. And you don't, I don't think you learn a great deal other than proving that the idea you had worked. It doesn't mean that it was the best idea. It just means that that one worked and turned out the way you thought it did. And I would say by it, things not working, because I tend to, I tend to expect things to work more often than they will. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I tend to be more surprised when shit doesn't ha doesn't yeah. work. <laughs> I think I could do that and then realize that it doesn't quite oh. work out that way probably 99% of the time. Yeah, and that's that is there's rich sort of fields of seeds that are planted when things don't go right and that you can use anywhere in life. And most of us throw that away. It's crazy to me that we view our failures in such harsh terms that we're unable to accept the fruits that it is able to provide. We just say no. We're like, you know what? No. And for me, it's tragic because in those failures, if you just sit and look at it and you don't judge yourself, again, it's the visualization of water, right? The water doesn't care what's before it or what's after it. It just is. So why can't we look at our problems as they just are? Why can't we look at our failures as they just are and learn from them? Listen, man, I've been in business a long time, and I could tell you the people that think that way are very few and far between. Most businesses 
they they achieve a little bit of success and then they rest on it right yeah. they like you know they pet it and they love it and they give it little kisses <laughs> and they want to like protect it from everything because you know at some point i get it there's been you know some success somebody's paid you for something and you feel like you got to protect that little system or whatever you have um but the truth is is that we live in a world that is constantly full of change mm. and if you're not innovating and you're not creative and you're not looking out there for the next big thing the next different thing the next you know thing that your customers or your clients or your business to business um you know, industry will support, then you're telling yourself short of your next sort of potential. Everything exists in a certain band of time, right? Mm -hmm. And every band of time looks exactly the same. There's an up sort of slope and then there's a down sort of slope. Yep. And what we have to do in business is maximize the amount of time that we're going up so that we don't go down or maximize the amount of time that we're going up so that when we do go down, we can come up with a new and creative idea to get back up there. But most businesses don't do that. They're like, hey, I'm going up. I'm cool. Don't this is touch what, anything. This is what we do. This is what we do. And uh, yeah, yeah at, totally. You end, up, you end up like Kodak. Totally. You end up like Kodak. And I even write about Kodak in the book. Do, do, would you believe, David, that um, Kodak was the first company to come up with a digital camera? I know. They, they, invented, you... they invented the technology that put them <laughs> out Isn't that crazy? Like, it, literally. Because they were it, so wedded to film. It, it's so into it. They were so into chemicals and paper and processing. And they could have been... Dude, they had a digital... 0 0.01 megapixel camera in 1973 1973 and they could have easily have had a one or two megapixel camera in 1980 you know uh, today i think your phone takes 17 18 megapixels yeah. it's a nice iphone or whatnot and can you imagine that technology available you know 20 30 years ago they could have done it but they turned their back on it why because they got complacent they got they were like we're the biggest and the best nobody's ever gonna want to watch you know or look at a picture on anything but paper L literally yeah. somebody said that and so what you have is a sort of i don't know almost a sickness of you know that self-doubt and that inability to innovate and change which traps people businesses and and careers and you you'd think now i mean in the last probably what 10 years or so there's a graveyard of companies big companies that haven't innovated and you look at them and you think when you look at it from this perspective it's so obvious blockbuster yeah like, absolutely destroyed they they could have easily owned that market Oh, uh, easily. They had a meeting, had a meeting <laughs> with Netflix at one point, David. Yeah. I mean, the, Netflix came to them and said, hey, we're a fledgling startup. Let's partner. You guys do the brick and mortar. We'll do the online. We've got some technology of how to stream. Uh, broadband is coming into homes. Let's do this. And they were like, huh, who would ever want to watch a movie at home? Literally, literally <laughs> said that. Um, you know, and they, they too went out of business. Um, I don't know. There's so many Toys R Us. Like Nokia, Nokia turned around and said, "No, what? What are apps? Apps won't. Apps don't stick around." Nokia. Um, yeah, there's there's several <laughs> several companies. Um, you know, Pan Am. Pan Am was yeah. one of the most innovative companies in the world. They had the first reservation computer in 1968. It took the entire floor of a building um, that they had, and they needed a floor above it to just 
air conditioning you know it because the machine got so hot basically they were constantly innovating they used jets for um for commercial uh, flight they were among the first to innovate um how jets are used and you know they were they were great but at a certain point they turned down i i, I talk about pan am in the book they had a lot of security issues with terrorists hijacking planes mm -hmm. and they pioneered the first technology of you know what you have today at security at an airport and they said yeah people aren't going to want to do that we shouldn't do it and and they got complacent and they literally went out of business so you know what are your listeners doing right now that makes them feel like hey you know what I, i'm i'm living the high life i'm doing all right well i challenge them to to think about what in their business and what in their lives uh, their careers they are doing that they think will last forever and i challenge them to think about you know how to use creativity to improve their chances of not only sur uh, uh, surviving but thriving mm -hmm. how do we i guess one of the the, the challenges that i see is and this comes up all the time is the education system doesn't really foster that creativity like this and like you were talking about earlier we could have um potentially found the cure for cancer but it's quite possible the person that could have done that is stuck in an office job somewhere not fulfilling their creative potential how totally. do we help to foster that creativity from a from a younger age so it doesn't kind of just we're not sheep dip kind of funneled through the corporate system which is where most people end up right definitely so you know yes creativity is shut down in schools um and and david i've found this all over the world not just in the west but in the east uh, too so there's all kinds of of methodologies that gently subtly not so subtly subtextually overtly guide us away from our creative selves right uh, an easiest example is you and I are are in kindergarten or whatnot, you know, and we're drawing a tree. Your tree is pink. My tree is, you know, uh, I don't know, electric blue. And the teacher comes by and says, now, David, you know, trees aren't, you know, pink there. And you're like, OK, sorry, you know, and, and you you then, yeah. you know, make a green tree. So subtly throughout and then, you know, you go to college, it's the same thing. University, it's the same thing. You start to get, you know, you go into the military, you're ready to start a business, right? You're, you're, you're out of the military, you're out of school, you're ready, you're going to start a business or you're going to go to work for someone else. And of course, of course, you're going to be analytic because that's what we've been taught this whole time. So I think it's really a um, reversal into starting to understand that creativity is as important as analytics. Now, I'm not saying throw analytics away. They're, they're really good because you and I both know people that are like creative geniuses that mm -hmm. still live in the basement with their parents. You know what I mean? It's like there's no point in coming up with an amazing thing if you don't know how to market it package it, sell it, how to change it according to what, you know, customer demands are and stuff like that. And those are analytical principles. They're good and they're important. But what we've done, David's, we've kind of, we've thrown away all of the creative side and we're like, the analytics will get us where we need to go. And we're constantly wondering why our companies aren't growing and why our careers are not developing. Do you think it's kind of the whole big data age is really taken hold isn't it it's kind of everything is now data 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 and 
Jeff Bezos at the front of the queue with all of that, with Amazon's kind of going, look, this is why data is so important. And I guess what kind of gets lost in that message is how creative Amazon have been as a result of the data. They haven't just gone down the data route. Actually, they've solved a lot of problems for people that made life really bloody easy, right? If you, you yes. know, say delivery is just, just completely they... transform the internet. They Yes, no doubt, David, they are a particularly good case of taking data and making it into information. And that's a whole different thing, right? Yeah. Data for data's sake is what we're in love with. Yeah. Um, I <laughs> oh, can track how many hours I've been on my phone. You know, you can track, yeah, you <laughs> can track like, you know, how many people in, you know, Ethiopia downloaded your podcast. And, you know, that's great if that's what you need, but what yeah. did that really, is that data or that information? We tend to blur the lines between the two, but they are as different as night and day. Data is the accumulation of just, you know, uh, analytics and information is really the bridge between analytics and mm -hmm. creativity because what information allows you to do is to say, you know what, those two people, in Ethiopia that are listening or downloading or 20 or 200 or 5,000 people, you know, in that particular territory will allow me to do a few things to foster that listenership and to develop it in such a way that produces more meaningful programming. Now I have 10,000, 20,000, 100,000, you know, um, listeners in that particular region. And this is what I'm doing to grow the show, so on and so forth. And, and those types of things are actionable and are wonderful. But data for data's sake is not, is not the, you know, in my opinion, it's not the stuff of the serious or the studious. It's a waste. Well, it's, it's, it's work for work's sake, isn't it? I think there's totally. a, a hell of a lot of that that goes on. I think Jim Rome would have called it the uh, majoring in the minor. <laughs> no like, doubt. Yeah, <laughs> there's really... so much work for work's sake going on today because of our worship of the analytics, our worship of the quantification. We want to apply numbers to things, and we think because we've applied a number, then shit, it must be good. People are doing something, right? Look, I could prove it. Here's a spreadsheet. We did something. But what if I were to tell you that the something that we're doing is really nothing? And yeah, there's in, no output. <laughs> right. And if we don't embrace the, I mean, listen, I'm, I, I bet you there are listeners on your show right now who are, you know, stuck in some job somewhere that they hate or doing something that, you know, that they don't like, who will vouch for the fact that they spend most of their days doing absolutely nothing, yeah. you know, sending emails and just sort of keeping up with the processes of their workplace. And, you know, that same person can then start to look at things creatively and understand that there's certain areas that gaps that they can move into that will solve certain problems that are useful. And those gaps will give incredible meaning to the people who are in those unhappy spots. And those gaps for me come from creativity. Yeah. And I think what you just said there, I think I, I would imagine, and I've been there, it's a large number of people are probably in that position where they don't get any fulfillment out of what they're doing whatsoever and it, it is doing work for work's sake and then i think you get to a certain point when you're in that position where you miss the opportunity to be creative because all motivation's gone out the window i think peter Drucker <laughs> talked a lot about this you know once that you get to a point where it's work for work's sake all motivation and creativity pretty much dies 
I just no doubt. Yeah. How um, do how do organisations start to foster greater creativity? So yeah, I, and I agree with everything you're saying. Uh, I think that um, I think that creativity needs to be championed, right? Kodak missed a golden moment to go. You know what? This is awesome. Let's try it. And you know that that's really the types of environments that I try to develop in the companies that I work with, and you know the organizations that I speak to. Um, what I want is management to get really excited about the potential of their staff to come up with ideas that solve problems. I want them to turn down their ego and to turn up the creative side, which allows input to be heard uh, from a lot of places. But, but Dave, I get this a lot, right? People, people go near. I'm, you know, I'm a project manager at a, you know, Fortune 100 company. There are 17 bosses above me, mm -hmm. um, you know, all the way to the CFO or whatnot. And what change can I do? I, you know, I'm, I'm a cog in the wheel and I want to be more creative and, and do things that are different and a little bit more challenging and interesting, but, you know, I'm kind of stuck. So for those people, what I say is, what's really important is not getting complacent like a company does, not going into a spot where you're giving up, not doing any of those things because what you're actually doing is damage to your own integrity, to your own sort of gut, right? Like we talked about earlier, your, your, your childhood creativity trying to get out. And I encourage people to have different outlets. Um, there was a, uh, a talk I gave a few months ago. Actually, now it's longer than that. It was before the whole COVID thing. What was it, in January? We, we kind of lost a third of this year, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, it was, it's, you know. it's been so depressing, this whole COVID thing, man. I, I just worry about the psychological impact of, oh, you know, all this stay-at-home stuff. And I just, that's what I really, you know, I really worry about that. I, I worry about the mental health of people, you know, uh, we are social human beings and being around each other is critical for our happiness. But anyway, I, so I did a talk and someone, you know, came up to me and, you know, which I love. I love when people come up to me I, afterwards. They go, I love your creativity stuff, but it doesn't help me. And here's why. And they tell me why it doesn't help them. And I try to, you know, tell them, no, actually, it really is helping. But anyway, um, you know, it, it, it was somebody who, uh, if I, I'm trying to remember now, but it was somebody that, you know, who was stuck kind of in a job. And I told her, you need to, you, are you, what do you really like doing? She's like, well, you know, I'm, I, I'm into jewelry and stuff like that. I'm like buying. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, I make a little bit and stuff like that. I'm like, start an Etsy store, get up there, do it, you know, to embrace that. Give yourself something to look forward to every day. Put goals together. Put, um, you know, and she was like, oh, wow, this sounds like it's a lot of work. I'm like, it's totally a lot of work. I mean, what, what do you think? <laughs> like being creative, starting a business, getting out there and doing things is a lot of work. You must embrace that and, and, and love it and get out there and do a little bit every day. It might take you 10 years to get up and running. It might take you 10 days. The, the, the journey to get there is far more important than the arrival. Those yeah. little victories will help you. And she's like, well, how did that help me at work? And I'm like, because then at work, you could still bring really great creative ideas. And if they don't work there, then they're still your ideas to use anywhere you'd like. What you want is not to defeat yourself in a dead end job working, you know, somewhere that you hate. You want to keep coming up with these creative ideas while you're there. And that will lead you to, if you're really listening to your gut, 
your proper roadmap, it might be to stop being a PM at that company and go be a PM at the other company. That might make you so dang happy, but it might also make you happy to quit and start your own business. It might make you really, really happy to partner with somebody else that's doing a likewise activity and, and do a limited partnership with them. It might make you really, really happy to do a bunch of other things. But if you spend all your day brooding about how much you hate your job, how much you hate where you are, you're getting nowhere. I think I told the lady something very similar to that. And like you could tell like, just the weight is lifted off the shoulders. It's like, it's okay to fail. It's okay to get it wrong. It's okay to take 10 years to do something that might take somebody else a year. Who cares? It's your journey. It's your life. And I could tell like, you know, and that's, that's kind of the, the thing that I want to get out there. I know, you know, your, your thing, David is, you know, to make sure that people can kind of, you know, take ownership of their life and, and yeah. start to change it for positive, uh, uh, you know, sort of reasons. And break, and exactly breaking that cycle that you're just talking about. is You got to break the cycle. Because what I see is, you know, and again, from my own journey and, and those around me, the most people that I worked with, I would say, spent most of the week, you know, every day, counting down to the end of the day, all of the week counting down till Friday. Yeah. And then Monday dread for the entire weekend. Right. And you're kind of wishing your life away. And what you do is you, and your, your time is dictated, you know, Monday to Friday. It's not even nine to five anymore. It's whatever hours it tends to be. And then outside of that, you just numb the misery with Netflix or going to the bar or drinking at home or whatever it is, but it's not actually doing anything that moves you forward, that takes responsibility and makes change. And I think you've got to try and interrupt that thing and swap out the, if, it, if you don't like where you are, and this is the journey I had to go on, was actually, if I'm not finding fulfillment in what I was doing during the day, first of all, where can you find the fulfillment? I found it personally in helping other people make a change within their own lives and develop and see outside of the box they were in. And then how do you use all of the other time that you're not at work to achieve, to do something different? Because actually, even if you work long days, you're still probably only at work at most, for most people in an office, 50% of your allocated time for a day, right? Out of 24, yes. you're probably not there more than 12. So you've right. still got another half of the day where you could do something. Totally. Right. And you've totally. got to do something different. Listen, man, the book that I have coming out, The Creator Mindset, I wrote nights and weekends for seven years. Like, dude, you know, it just takes the will. It just takes the will to do it. Is that the best schedule for writing a book? Absolutely not. And did that the book that got published? Absolutely not. Because when I met an agent, they took that book that took me seven years to write and threw it in the trash. They're like, this sucks. <laughs> but you have well, some, the idea was there, right? The idea was there. And this is how we want you to do it. And, you know, when I met the people at McGraw-Hill, the publisher, they were like, this is what we need done. And here's the schedule. And it was a hardcore thing. And, you know, but the, the point is, is that, you know, 
you have so much time if you allow yourself to think a little bit differently, to think a little bit creatively about your day and your schedule, to do everything and anything that you really want to do. And, you know, I mean, I have kids. I know what it's like. I, I know I can point out a bunch of roadblocks, you know. You can too. Everyone can. And the analytics keep us on the roadblock path. The analytics tell us, well, you know, you can't do it because you have to do childcare. You can't do it. You got to pick up your kids. You can't do it because you're not able to write well. You can't do it. You can't do it. You can't do it. That's the voice that's constantly telling us no. But the creative voice it's it's really is really telling us yes and for us to listen to a different perspective um can be an incredible incredible uh freeing tool listen i you know and and this this for me you know you want to help people and that's awesome but i'm kind of selfish um david i got to be honest with you like i'm really selfish i you know I want people to help me. I want the, you know, the woman who come up, came up with a pop socket to mm. invent that because I like looking at my phone <laughs> on a stand. Like I'm not, uh, you know, um, I want cancer to be cured because God forbid if I get it, I want it to be, you know. So my mission is entirely selfish. Your mission is incredibly, um, you know, charitable. And, and well, like, the, well, the, the flip side to it is that if if one person gets inspired, they might be the person that goes and cures cancer. So Totally. And, you know, I want I want that inventor that came out with, you know, that little ball that they put in Guinness on the can like that makes me super happy we're not always looking for landing a woman on Mars or you know curing cancer and all these like epic things life is full of little little inventions little pieces of creativity along the journey that make it so much better and for me I want to empower as many people <laughs> to come up with these things so that it makes my life better <laughs> this is true well look at look at look at, look at how we're, doing, we're having this conversation now someone's creativity has enabled me and you to speak today right the zoom totally. the microphones the headsets the totally computers, all of this stuff has come from other people thinking outside of the box from what everyone else is looking at you look that's at, right you know, bill gates steve jobs between the two of them we're probably using a whole bunch of their stuff <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah no doubt and, no they, doubt. and they had they they it was them thinking differently and so and thinking big that yep. was, has really made the massive difference and i think the other side of creativity, I think a lot of, when you say create creativity to some people, I think a surprising number would probably come back with things that are maybe artistic, not yes. necessarily utilitarian and creativity is everything. And yes. These, do you know? It's Definitely. A, it's trying to, it's opening the thought process to actually creativity is everything. I think we take, we, we're so used to stuff in our lives that we take for granted that the chair I'm sat on started off as an idea totally. and then became a thing, right? The screen I'm looking at was an idea and became a thing. We just seem to think that they fall out of the sky because they're so easy to get these days that we just don't ever realize that somebody had to think of this shit first. <laughs> and then, no doubt. You know? No doubt. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I think it's 
I think because art is our gateway into creativity, it's what most of us think creativity is, but it's only like two or 3% of the pie. So if you can imagine in your mind's eye, a big pie chart or whatever, take a tiny slice, 2% is, is artwork, you know, it's music and all that stuff. It's like just a tiny sliver of our potential. Listen, you're dealing with half of the human brain that we have not uh, that we've malnourished, that we have not exercised, that has atropated in such a way that it's become like kind of, you know, almost like uh, like when you break your arm and it's in a cast or whatnot, and then, you know, they take the cast off two months later and your <laughs> arm is drunk. Like <laughs> you know, you got like a little arm. Yeah. And you're like, oh, look at me, I got a little arm, you know, and it's funny, but you know, it takes it a while to build back up because you haven't used it, right? Can you imagine, you know, you're, you're, you're a young guy, you're in the, in the prime of your life at age 26, you're feeling good about things, right? Um, you, can you imagine being 26 years old and having not used that portion of your brain for so long, 36, now you're 46, you're 56, you're 70 years old, you know, and you haven't used that side of your brain for so long. Can you imagine how much potential is locked in there that's just dying to get out, just waiting to make its impact? And it could be, you know, a pop socket on the back of your phone, and it could be the cure to cancer. Both things are awesome. And, you know, so I feel like because we look at creativity as only being art, we're selling ourselves constantly short of our potential. We cannot look at creativity as only being art. Art is a tiny, tiny portion of the massive amounts uh, of things that can come out of that side of the brain. And I'm sure there's, you know, the, the, there's been links between longevity, human longevity, um, and brain activation. So things like creativity and curiosity, um, dementia lack of lack of curiosity and creativity has definitely been linked towards dementia um and you see it right there's an older generation now yeah, that yep. didn't you know the previous older generations didn't have television like we've had now and you're starting to see a generation that's hit in their 70s 80s and 90s where it seems to me like dementia is becoming a bit more prevalent and i've got personal experience of this with family members and and you know other people's families that i can see it happening where particularly uh in certain cultures where maybe the uh the grandmother has stayed at home quite a lot and not hasn't you know it's been an old-fashioned style relationship um and i've seen that effect of being effectively stuck indoors all day without that stimulation yeah onset dementia seems to seems to come along no doubt. You know, we talk a little bit about it in the book. Uh, I'm not a medical professional, but we've, we've, you know, referenced several who are, and you're absolutely right. There's a link between underdeveloping that sort of creative side of the mind and a whole host of problems. Um, you know, part of it is, you know, uh, medical problems that have symptoms and, you know, uh, are sort of, uh, um, you know, something that we can identify and put a label on dementia, Alzheimer's, things like that. But part, part of it, David, to me, that's, you know, just as scary is, well, happiness and joy mm. and the ability of somebody to enjoy what they're doing and enjoy life. Listen, we're not here for that long. We don't have that much time on earth. And, you know, it is, 
incomprehensible to me that people spend it in, you know, down and out jobs in the depths of some despair and doldrums instead of listening to themselves and listening to what they need to do. And I get it all the time. People say, well, near, I need to pay my bill. You know, uh, my happiness ain't going to pay the bill. And I tell people, well, that's not necessarily true because if you were happy, what could you mm -hmm. produce in in this day and age that would help? Listen, I'm 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 a John Lockean kind of guy, right? I'm all about the individual going out there and crushing. I'm not about you know this collective, you know, sort of Rousseau uh, vision of life where everybody loves each other and we live on love alone. It, you know, you would think coming from a creativity person, you know, an expert, that would be sort of what type of that would be the type of thing that I would push, but it's, it's the last thing that I push. I push free enterprise. You know, I push, listen, it's the best system we have yeah. had. Is it the most perfect system, David? No. Is there potentially a better system? Yes, but it's the best that we've got right now. Okay. And there's nothing that have lifted more people out of poverty around the world than this particular system of free enterprise, of ideas, of the creation of new businesses, new products, and new services. And that's what I want people to do. I want people to embrace that. And however it manifests in them, it might be just working for someone else. There's nothing wrong with having a job somewhere, but there is something wrong with being miserable all the yeah. time. And I worry, you know, about dementia. I worry about people not using and exercising that portion of the brain, but I also worry about people being miserable and losing out on an opportunity to make an impact in some, you know, either tiny, tiny way or some great and grand way. We just, I think we get conditioned to take the uh, so much stuff seriously that just shouldn't be serious. There's a, there yeah. was a, a, a philosopher that I've quoted quite a few times called John Watts. Uh, Alan Watts, sorry, uh, back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, if you know of him. And he talked about, you know, uh, being serious in something such as life, which is so ultimately ridiculous, <laughs> it is, is stupid in itself because yeah. all that happens is we, we're born, we live a bit, and we die, and we take... <laughs> the stuff in between so seriously where there's there's no point was it you just yeah. get to the I end mean, and fall off the end and, and, <laughs> and, and you know it's wild yeah it, it, you know it's there's so much that people can do and contribute and enjoy and you know my mission is to help people unlock that joy that they put away because they feel like it's not serious or it's not something that they need to pursue um, but for me it's it's one of the most important things we need to pursue we need to understand how creativity can improve our lives and we need to understand creativity outside the context of music or playing the trumpet or you know uh, that sort of life we need to understand that it affects it affects all of us and we should embrace it before we uh get on to the quick fire i'm going to take you through what um what other little tips can you give to anybody to help fire up their creative side you know honestly the something that i've been thinking a lot about and we we write about it in the book is shutting off your phone <laughs> like you know um stop distracting yourself Oh get, man, it's amazing. Uh, yeah. It's like shut off your phone, take a digital detox day. A lot of people talk about it, but uh, you know, not a lot of people do it. Mm -hmm. And you know, I think just to be creative, um, 
listen, I talk about how to manufacture creativity in the book. It's, it's a three-step process called the concept, idea, uh, and execution. And it's something that I've developed over the years of, you know, really trying to be creative and watching other people around me excel at it. And, you know, it codifies it and it's wonderful. The book really deals with the how, the how of creativity. I don't care about the why. The why is important. It's because you have to. Now that's tell personal, me how to do it. it. That's, that's personal. That's the, yeah. that's the individual, but the how. Totally. Most people want to know how to do stuff. Totally. There's no, you know, and there's no books out there, none on the market other than than mine that's coming out about the how of creativity. Every other book out there is why you should be creative. But how? Fuck all. Nothing in there for <laughs> that. Nothing. But, no, you're but, right. You know, why? up, oh, dude, why? Enter, enter something into Google right now and look at the top 10, 15 books that come up with creativity and it'll be all why, 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 why. Mm -hmm. So, I got kind of tired of it. So I manufactured a way for anybody to become creative. It's really about the concept idea and the execution, but you can't really dive into that kind of stuff, David, if you're constantly on your phone or yeah. if you're on your computer and you know, I had to disconnect the internet from my computer when I was writing the book because I would do it too. I'd write like, two paragraphs or really two sentences, let's be honest. And then erase it the whole time because I didn't think it was good enough. And then I was like, oh, let's see what's going on with West Ham football. I was like, oh, <laughs> Moisey decided to bench this guy. And then I'd like Google him. And then, you know, I would spend hours looking at why we should play, you know, Antonio or Haller up top versus, you, you know, and I'm like- Go down the rabbit hole so easy. The right? rabbit hole. Three hours later, seriously. Yeah. Three hours later, I go, okay, I got to crack down. And then, and then, you know, I would violate my own rules. Every rule in the book, there's 92 of them. I violated every one of them. Even on this podcast, I probably violated some of them. So I'm not like, you know, the perfect, the Messiah of, you know, creativity. I have gotten so many dang things wrong over my career that, you know, it's, it's not even funny. And I think that's what makes this journey and this sort of message resonate with people is because, they're, they realize that, you know, I think and I hope that they realize that this is an honest sort of message and some of these things are traps that we all get into, myself included, many, many times. Um, but, you know, actually seeing some of these things through would really help. Shut off your phone for an hour tonight, David just an hour let your listeners just shut off the phone for an hour stop checking email for two hours and you will see an amazing sort of relief um happen you, you would think that if you don't check your email that you would get behind but what you actually do is you get ahead because those in those two hours it'll enable you to process those other emails so much better because you've given yourself some pause um Talking about rest as a creative attribute is an incredibly important thing because in that rest, we not only recharge, but we can actually reignite some amazing potential that will help us deal with, you know, uh, volume. And you get a chance to hear your own voice rather than somebody else's being transmitted into you from the TV, the phone or whatever it is. Yeah, no doubt. It's, it's, no doubt. it's important. I think, you know, most people's ideas, that's why so many people come up with ideas in the shower because the only time you haven't got an electronic device in your hand. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> you know? It's crazy. Right. Let's do the quick fire and then we'll, uh, we'll cut on to where people can track you down uh, and the release date for the book. So let's go. Number one, do you have a morning routine? If you do, what is it? I do not have a morning routine. I probably should. 
three books that you'd recommend that you've read over the years uh, and what would, they, what would they be and why so i'm a i'm a prolific reader i read like a lot um i probably read two books uh two to three books a month um the latest that i really like is the fearless organization uh amy edmelson out of um out of harvard uh that's a really good one um grant uh, ron cherno's book about ulysses s grant so good so timely right now too with uh with everything going on um uh, adam atler's book drunk uh tank pink i think it's really really good um those are three that i that i really like awesome uh three people to follow or listen to three people i follow or listen to um gosh let's see i listen to uh <laughs> this is a bit embarrassing but i listen to the west ham way podcast religiously um that's my that's kind of my favorite uh podcast right now um i like um you know, I like the Wall Street Journal a lot. I read mm -hmm. their articles and follow a few of their uh, writers there. Um, and I like the stuff that uh, Marshall Good, uh, Goldsmith is putting out. Um, I think his work is really, really good too. Good. Uh, three habits or disciplines that you've adopted over the years. Three habits of what? three habits or disciplines that you've kind of adopted over the years. I think one of those is probably where you did the writing, right? <laughs> right. Shutting off your phone, maximizing, you know, every minute that you have free from distractions to do what you need to do. Um, that I think is really important. Shutting up. Uh, I know this is weird because we're on a podcast and this is far more than I normally talk, but shutting up is amazing and listening to what, is going on in the marketplace and what is going on with your customer, what people are saying and what they're doing. People are so busy to talk that they often just wait instead of listening. They just wait to talk some more. So uh, listening is an incredibly powerful uh, attribute that, that I really like. Um, the third one I think is really important is humor. Uh, I cannot tell you enough how it is important to look at things in a humorous way to allow for creativity to to start to envelop. When we spend our lives looking at things only in a negative sort of fashion, we lose the potential of seeing humor in things and humor lessens the um, risk of getting it wrong. And when we lessen risks of getting it wrong, we tend to give ourselves more freedom to create. Love that. Uh, three systems, services or tools, whichever however you want to categorize them, uh, that you love you use all the time couldn't live without uh i would say one of them is empathy uh having the empathy to put the shoe on the other foot and really not just try to see what someone else is experiencing but to really understand things from their perspective mm -hmm. i think it's an incredible negotiation tool believe it or not it's something that i use when i'm negotiating contracts um often to help me um sort of understand what some of the rejections are and overcome them or even, you know, meet somebody halfway when necessary. Um, I, um, courage, I think it's a very important thing. Um, it takes a lot of guts to 
sort of go in the way that you think you need to go rather than in the way that the analytics are pushing you into mm -hmm. um, and having the ability to go, you know what, this is what I need to do for myself to become better, a better person, a better, better parent, a better partner, a better human being on earth. Um, takes a lot of courage to, to do that. Um, and then finally, uh, an attribute that I like to practice is, um, is questioning. Question the expert, question me. Don't accept things at face value. Um, having the ability to question and to constantly sort of ask, hey, is this something that makes sense to me is incredibly important. We live in, in a, a day and an age where the expert is some, you know, incredible person on a mountain that we can't touch mm -hmm. because us mere mortals are never, ever going to live up to that. Um, question it, question what I'm saying, um, question everybody who appeared to be an expert and you will derive tons of meaning out of those questions. Perfect. And the last question, if you had one hour with, with one person from either dead or alive, who would it be? Bobby Moore all the way. Hey. England 66, number <laughs> England one. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, you know, there, there's, there's too many to list, but that uh, was a since, quick we've been, though. <laughs> since we've been talking so much about West Ham, I would say Bobby Moore, uh, incredible human being, incredible footballer. Um, the things that he did in his life after football and after the game, um, you know, through charity work, I, I mean, you know, the story, but maybe a lot of, of Americans don't, um, there's been, you know, this is like a true sportsman in, in every sense of the word. And I think that we've lost our way with sports people. Um, you know, a lot of people are really good on the court and once they get off, um, you know, they, they have lost their way in terms of how important it is to be in the public eye, uh, and loved by so many people. Um, and the power that they have to yeah. use that for good and to use that to spread, you know, um, incredible wealth uh, is is underused today. So I think Bobby Moore is an example for all of us uh, across the world of what a great sportsman and a great person could be. Love it. That is hammers all the way I earned. <laughs> oh, Neil it's been amazing thank you very much for giving up your time where can uh, where can people track you down and what's the release date when can we get your book uh, it's a August 4th is the release date it's everywhere uh, Amazon Barnes and Noble wherever you like to buy books uh, your local bookstore should have it they're doing a worldwide release they're translating it into two languages it's very 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 exciting I hope you like it if you don't please tell me um, and uh, you can get it on uh, my website which is thecreatormindset.com you can buy it wherever you want. Um, you can track me down near Bashan.com, N-I-R-B-A-S-H-A-N.com. I'm on Insta. I'm on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from you. Awesome. I'll make sure that we've, uh, we've got links and uh, direct everyone to go and get a copy. I'll be getting a copy, that's for sure. Thanks, David. I appreciate it. Awesome. Cheers, Neil. Okay, man. Bye. Bye.